Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and I, for one, am thrilled to experience yet another entry in the Christopher Abbott Cinematic Universe. <laughs> Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. Let's podcast on one, two, <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. I'm Jeff Kanata, and I am a firm believer that it's one, two, three, go, not one, two, three. Mm. You gotta you know, go on always, three. You gotta go on three. I always I make this clear. I always make this clear to people. Yes, I always say yes. I'm gonna count down from three to zero, and then we go on what would be zero, which I'm not gonna say. But it is <laughs> much less elegant than just uh-huh. saying on the count of three. You know right. where I learned this? I, I learned this. The whole countdown thing it was in uh, Wayne's World one. Mm, That's where I learned yeah. the broadcasting yeah. countdown. Right. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah. On the count of three is not enough information. <laughs> I, agreed. A hundred percent agreed. Like, do you go on three or do you go after three? Doesn't yeah. make any sense. I, I don't know how it became a thing. I don't know how it became a thing. Okay, this should anyway. really be the first scene of this movie. You know, like, just, <laughs> do you mean? In a, in a way, it kind of is. Yeah. 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 Those are, of course, all references to the fact that today we are going to be reviewing Gerard Carmichael's newest film, On the Count of Three, which is available right now in limited release and on video on demand. It's going to be our main review today. Before that, of course, we got some what we've been watching for you and a couple of film-related items I want to discuss. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. If you want to support this podcast, all you got to do is go to patreon.com slash filmpodcast, where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. Uh, now, we've got a bunch of... I have to say, this has been our biggest sign-up week probably <laughs> since... Uh, I don't know, Squid Game or yeah. uh, Midnight Mass. You know, a lot of people Thanks, wanted to hear Avatar Two, the Avatar Two Woo! trailer talk, baby. Yeah, um, yeah. So people a lot of people waited to... over a decade for that. So yeah. yeah, people wanted to hear us talk about that. We got a bunch of cool episodes for you coming up. We got uh, a selective rewatch of some of the Jurassic Park movies that we'll talk about next week. Um, we got uh, a rewatch of Top Gun coming up next week, and probably this week's After Dark. We're still working it out, but it's probably going to be a review of the movie Bell, the new anime movie uh, that is directed by uh, Mamoru uh, Hosoda. So uh, look forward to that, uh, unless the plan changes between now and when we record, which is very possible. But then anyway. Don't, don't look forward to it at all. Yeah. Uh, Either look forward to it or don't. You could also just watch that movie and enjoy it. It's fine. Indeed. indeed. Yeah. You don't need to depend on the after arc. It's true. It's okay. uh, but patreon.com slash film podcast, where you can find... Uh, ad-free episodes as well as exclusive After Darks. Thanks for everyone who signed up for our Avatar 2 talk. I hope we don't let you down. Yeah, I don't think there's that much Avatar 2 like discussion on the Patreon feed in general, you know? But Well, maybe uh, we should change that, Dave. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's the right amount. I think it's the right amount. But, but speaking- lots of good stuff. And thank you, folks. Thanks to all the new signups. We we really appreciate it. Indeed, indeed. Um, well, speaking of Avatar 2, uh, I, I got an email from somebody who was extremely disappointed in, I think it was at least my remarks about Avatar 2. <laughs> was it me? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it was not from you. It was from a listener named Kit R uh, from Columbus, Ohio, who first wrote into the podcast in January of 2020. And apparently I read Kit's email in its entirety <laughs> in January 2020 on the podcast. Uh huh. Uh, Kit R basically corrected me in January of 2020 
uh, when I don't I don't know if it was you or me, Devendra, last week we implied that the way that the Navi and Avatar uh, have sex is the same way in which they interview interface with animals, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. That that's like a violation of animals they're performing. Well, apparently this is a very specious lie that has been spread by the anti-Avatar folks on the I'm internet. I'm also pretty sure we had this correction after we reviewed the first movie, but we collectively, we just forgot everything about that movie, so it's like we it's, have to do this totally all over again. It's totally true. As, a, re- yeah, as an avowed uh, Avatar defender, it's still funnier to think that that's how it works. I don't you know? know. It's not very funny, Jeff. Pretty, pretty <laughs> it's upsetting. Pretty funny to me. It's like thinking about the implications of the Cars universe. You know, it's just not. Yeah. Why yeah. do they have a Pope? Anyway, uh, and the so, Pope is inside another car. He's what? inside another car. He's inside a Pope mobile. What? <laughs> what? Anyway, uh, so Kit writes: the tails on Navi are just tails, extending from the pelvis like other tailed mammals. They perform familiar tail functions like balance, hints of mood, and have prehensile abilities. The cue with which they achieve neural connections is a tentacle-like appendage that extends from the base of the skull. It is usually concealed in a hair braid running the length of a queue. The tendrils at the end connect directly to the brain. The neural connection formed by joining the cues may be done during sex to create an intimate connection between Navi partners, but this is itself not sex. Navi sex is comparable to human sex, just pretty much the same. Yeah. So it's like, that, it's like when you hug an animal, you know? Yes. That's not, that's so not sexual. Just this, as is humans a, this is a classic don't. Confuse my penis with my other dangly bits. <laughs> <laughs> Just as humans may kiss during sex, kissing is not sex. The Navi will join the cues during sex, but this mm-hmm. act itself is not sex. Anyway. I love seeing uh, Kit on How To with John Wilson, by the way. You were great <laughs> in that episode. <laughs> so then after, so that was from Kit's original email. Kit wrote in an additional uh, disappointing email this week. He said, Dave, you continue to make Avatar jokes about sex with animals. <laughs> Being the same as sex with other Navi, <laughs> because sticking your tail into anything equals sex on Pandora. You'll find my original email below, which you actually read to the film cast the, on the week I wrote it. Please stop making these erroneous jokes. If you're going to make jokes about Avatar, have at it. Make fun of James Cameron's unsubtle messaging. Make fun of Sam Worthington's acting if you want. Make fun of the dialogue or anything that's actually in the movie, but don't misrepresent the world by misunderstanding the purpose of the cues for a cheap sex joke. They're not for <laughs> sex. You remembered it wrong. End quote. I mean, I think so, it's funnier this way. Therefore, this is the reality I choose. It's <laughs> funnier. It's also pretty funny that that his response was, "Please refer to my earlier email." <laughs> yes, <laughs> which you yeah. read on air. Here's I think the it is extremely time, fair. Time it is extremely. This is an extremely fair email. And yes, 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 yes. It, it, he is right. There are so many things to make fun of James Cameron's Avatar for, which we will do so relentlessly uh-huh. in the next nine months up to Avatar two, and probably for the next five years, to be honest. Uh-huh. Based on when the next movies are coming out, uh, but we should be accurate in our ridicule of the movie, and I fully support not being fake news. I fully support mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. no you know what? high standards of factuality on the podcast. So thank you, kids, for holding Kid us has to those now standards. classified that joke as unobtainium. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Kit, for trying to keep the podcast honest. Sorry for making that mistake. Sorry for the other Avatar fans. Yeah, we will do better when it comes to making fun of Avatar. The, the so. joke is, people would believe that, by the way, because nobody <laughs> knows the specifics. It's not mm-hmm. like it was absolutely clear from the movie. <laughs> I, I did not read the Avatar encyclopedia, you know. So mm-hmm. I think where, where did where does the breakdown come from? Where does this information? You come didn't from? You remember that scene when Sam Worthington's character walks into that room and 
Uh-huh. Sigourney Weaver has the chalkboard and she's like, this is how <laughs> you fuck a Navi. <laughs> For research, okay? All right. The other thing I wanted to bring up before we start getting into what we've been watching this week is everything everywhere all at once. Uh, now, again, I have brought up on a week-to-week basis, uh, typically, uh, let's say a movie makes $10 million in its opening weekend. The following week, it'll drop between usually 40 and 60%. That's like a normal drop. If it's a really bad movie like Morbius, it'll drop 74%, which is what happened between weeks one and two. Uh, Doctor Strange, by the way, I think dropped 67%, something like that. It was a pretty heavy drop for Doctor Strange. Um, so there's still hope for my summer movie wager, at, uh, which you can track at thesummermoviewager.com. Um, but uh, yeah, 67% is how much Doctor Strange 2 fell. Okay, so Everything Everywhere All at Once is in its eighth week of release. Uh, I think it's been out in uh, wide release for like five, six weeks. It dropped 6% wow. in its eighth week of release, which is incredible. It made $3.3 million this weekend. A few notable facts about that. One is that it is now the third highest grossing A24 film of all time uh, domestically, and it looks to beat that probably in the next week. It will likely become the highest grossing A24 film uh, of all time in the next week. The other two that it has yet to surpass are uh, Lady Bird, which made $49 million, and Uncut Gems, which made $50 million. Um, So that's astonishing. It made more money than Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore this week. That's the, which, that's the great data point right there. Yeah, which is incredible. Be, I mean, that, I, that movie I, actually came out. Like that, that movie barely <laughs> exists to me. It, you know, Fantastic Beasts. To be fair, Fantastic Beasts is going to make more money than it. Um, sure, sure. But also this past weekend, it made more money than you know everything everywhere made more money than Fantastic Beasts, uh, which is amazing because Fantastic Beasts is a movie that costs two hundred million dollars to make and is part of a beloved franchise, uh, and. Uh, probably in the next two weeks, it will have made more money than every single movie that was at the Oscars this past year, except for Dune. So it will have made more money than House of Gucci. It will have made more money than the last movie that was directed by Steven Spielberg, Guillermo del Toro, and Ridley Scott. Um, so, which is a statement about how well it's doing, and also a statement of how poorly those films did, unfortunately. Um, most Oscar films barely cracked, you know, $30, $40 million. So anyway, uh, every week it continues to kind of defy the laws of box office gravity. And it's finally, it's basically, it's, it's triumph. It's at the top now. It's, it's, it's the highest A24 film of all time, or it will be in the next 10 days. And, um, it's astonishing. So deserves it. Yeah. Yeah. Good to see. uh, It's hopefully we'll get some Oscar love when the time comes. That would be great. Absolutely. Did, did you guys see Universal sharing a clip from The Mummy 3, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor? They were like, we got Michelle Yeoh. Look, guys. <laughs> Michelle Yeoh versus Jet Li in our movie. Share yeah. this. Like and retweet. And everyone's like, that movie was garbage. What are you? You're making everybody look worse. So uh, shout out to Michelle Yeoh. Like, this is her yeah. time to shine. Yeah. 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 Uh, and think about what you're doing, Universal, basically. I, I am hoping that uh, this movie does well at the Oscars. I don't think they, you know, my guess is they're probably going to make some campaign for it, but I don't think mm-hmm, A24, mm-hmm. You, you know, 
I have to imagine that they didn't think it was going to be a top box contender. Yeah. But by yeah. default, it's going to be because it is their highest earning film, right? Um, typically, Oscar movies don't come out in the March-April time period. Right. Um, typically, they're released later on in the year. This honestly reminds me a lot of um, the same story with Mad Max Fury Road. I re- again, I, I read that book, uh, Blood, Sweat, and Chrome, recently. And, and that movie came out, I think, you know, it was a summer blockbuster genre film. Those movies generally are not Oscar films. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road then went on to be nominated for 10 Oscars. And it, it, people were like, this is incredible this is happening. Uh, will this be the first Oscar movie that has dildos in it? I don't know. You know I, I'm trying to figure that out. There must but, be others. Come yeah, on. It's possible. It's possible. But, you know, it, the first it, is not a dildo fight scene. Maybe. Yeah, certainly the first dildo fight scene. I think. Yeah. Um, and mean, so I think it's incredible uh, how well it's doing. And I think that uh, I, I hope that it gets a robust Oscar campaign. Um, I, I doubt it's going to win Best Picture, but I think a. Uh, a uh, best actor, best supporting actor for uh, mm-hmm. Kiwi Kwan and Michelle Yeoh is, is absolutely possible. yeah. That is yeah. what I am rooting for. So, so yeah, everything, everywhere, all at once. Go see it. It is still playing in over a thousand theaters right now, and uh, I think it's going to be on video on demand pretty soon. But if you have a chance to see it in theaters, I think it's totally worth it. So, okay. Just a couple film news items I wanted to mention. Avatar 2 Correction and also Everything Everywhere All at Once. Let's get into what we have been watching this week. All right? So I will talk about Firestarter. Now, the new Firestarter came out this week. The remake of the Prodigy song? Like, no. That's, that's what <laughs> I'm interested Firestarter. in. Twisted oh, man. Firestarter. Tell me it's in the soundtrack and also R.I.P. Prodigy guy. I love that guy. Yeah, well, It's funny yeah. that you mentioned the soundtrack. Uh, uh-huh. Because the soundtrack is the best thing about this movie, right? <laughs> so the Firestarter is a remake of uh, well, you know the original movie, mm-hmm. uh, the 1984 film starring Drew Barrymore, which itself is based off of the Stephen King book. And this new movie again is in is in theaters right now, and it also uh, is on Peacock, which is how I watched it. I was originally lobbying for us to review it this week because yeah, it is you were the... all lit up for Firestarter, Dave. It yeah, was, it there was, was a lot of lot of enthusiasm about reviewing Firestarter. I, I, okay, it's... I haven't seen you this excited about a movie since, <laughs> since now uh, you see me. Since sequel. now you see me. <laughs> uh, for those who don't know, uh, on the After Dark, I, I think it was on the After Dark. It was mm-hmm. recently discussed. Uh, that Jeff and Davinia would try to spread a lie that I was really a fan of Now You See Me. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, which is Dave, not true. I really don't like that movie. We all and, know that Dave loved the Now You See Me franchise. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, I wasn't really excited about this movie because I thought it would be good. Um, I'm frequently excited because I think the movie will be interesting to discuss. And I was like, you know what? Let We should watch the original Firestarter and compare it to the new one and it'll be like an After Dark, you know, exclusive and... Um, I think the guys were like, we don't want to watch two bad movies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have you, uh, I think the original Firestarter was the movie that introduced me to the idea of, uh, pyrokinetic powers, which yes. is super cool. That movie is real bad. It is. It's just so boring despite having that such a cool central premise. Yeah. Uh, and the new one is not great <laughs> as well. I I think the, I think if you saw the new one, Devinder, you would say, mm-hmm. wow, the original has a lot of character. Sure. You know? Sure. Uh, and, and you, it would make you appreciate the original, but the new one is, is rough. I really feel like 
they're suffering from budget constraints. This is a Blumhouse production. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the budget is, but it feels like one of those really low budget $5 million movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple... how, how does the fire look? That's the important thing. Good fire it, or bad it, fire? It looks, it looks decent in some scenes and pretty rough in others. Mm. And... Uh, the plot is extremely simple. The, the problem is like the movie is so short. It's 90 minutes long. Um, you don't really get a sense of who any of these characters are or what motivates them really. It, it, it's it's about this this these people that are on the run, basically, right? Zach Efron plays Andy McGee and he's married to a woman played by Sydney uh, Lemon, I think. And they're on the run because they have this pyrokinetic daughter who like they're trying to you know they're they have powers as well and they're trying to make sure their daughter is safe and they're safe because people are after them because they have powers and um and you you really don't get a good sense of who these characters are and the problem is like the performances aren't strong enough to Mm -hmm. overcome that in my opinion uh ryan kira armstrong who plays the firestarter character the daughter character um you know, she is told by her parents, don't show any emotion, you know, don't show any emotion because uh, that's how the fire starter, like that's when she like loses control and her fire starter, like uh, tendencies uh, come to the surface. Um, and that is not great for the movie <laughs> because <laughs> she's just trying to like suppress her emotions for most of the movie. And so she comes off as like a, uh, Mm-hmm. Pretty pretty blank slate, unfortunately. And there are ways to do that. Like a lot of movies have done that. Like when when you talk about this movie, by the way, Dave, I'm thinking of uh, Jeff Nichols' Midnight Special, mm. which is a movie I really really dug. And that, another, you know, the kid with superpowers on the run from the law and everything. Yeah, I, I did not yeah. love that movie, but I do think it is better than Firestarter. Yeah, you know. Um. So, yeah, unfortunately, Firestarter was a miss. The movie did make $3.8 million at the box office this weekend, which I think is pretty good considering that it's on Peacock as well. I think people just don't know it's on Peacock, you know? I think when people are like, let's go see Firestarter at the theater, they're right, not like, right. let's check Peacock to see if it's on it. Uh, I don't think they're doing like, a particularly good job I of making sure it's they on They like it, purposefully so. don't advertise it, even though that would probably help them more than you know <laughs> people seeing Firestarter in theaters. I don't, I don't know. know. You know, I think a, th- a good, healthy theatrical <laughs> release is good for movies in general, so... Uh, but yeah, Firestarter didn't love it. I will Be- say that one awesome thing about it is the soundtrack, which is partially written by John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fun. And Does it have a, a Billy Joel song in it? <laughs> I don't recall. I don't recall. But he, uh, John Carpenter, I think he also did the, uh, didn't he also do the soundtrack for the new Halloween movie? The guy still knows how to write soundtrack yeah. bangers, man. That's what like, he does for fun with his son. Yeah, it's exactly. A, and he is living the like retired life I want. It's like I want creatively, <laughs> I just want to do what I'm creatively interested in. Yeah, bring exactly. my kids. In. Yeah. And I love great. it. I lo- like I play video games say, the whole other time. I wouldn't say the movie is worth watching just for the soundtrack, but it's like close. It's like, wow, this is I would definitely try to listen to the soundtrack for the new Firestarter if you if you can. Um because it is really stylish and propulsive and uh, I, it is by far the best thing about this movie. Mm-hmm. It will outlast the cultural footprint of this movie. Um, so check out the soundtrack, which again is is partially written by John Carpenter. Uh, it's a banger, man. It's it's really really entertaining. So that's fun. Yeah, uh, but that's Firestarter and is streaming right now on Peacock. Hey, it's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Backbone. Backbone is something that my co-host over on my DLC video game podcast has been telling me about for so long, 
and I finally jumped in and got one, and I'm so glad I did. What is holding you back from the ultimate gaming experience? Is it the hundreds of dollars it costs for your setup? Or are you busy on the go with only minutes to spare? Well, Backbone is here to let you level up your game. Backbone is the universal gaming essential that lets you instantly play hundreds of console games on your iPhone, no console required. Backbone is the newest game-changing essential that transforms your iPhone into a handheld console so you can play anywhere, anytime. You simply plug your iPhone into the Backbone and enjoy console quality controls with responsive buttons and triggers, clickable analog sticks, and more as you play Xbox, PlayStation, PC, and App Store games. You want to play Fortnite for free now that it's available on iOS? Oh, yeah. Backbone is the way to do it. I'm telling you, I will never waste my time with virtual sticks or touch controls on my phone ever again. Now that I've got the backbone. And if you don't even own a console, no problem. Stream hundreds of games like FIFA, Halo, Minecraft, and more through cloud gaming services like Xbox Game Pass. NVIDIA GeForce Now, and Google Stadia. And even if you already have a PlayStation, Xbox, or PC, you can play the games you own with Remote Play or the Steam Link app. Experience for yourself what TechCrunch calls the closest we've ever seen to a portable Xbox. Go to playbackbone.com filmcast now to order your backbone until June 30th and you get free access, free access to over 350 console games and perks, including one month free of Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, one month free of Apple Arcade, two months free of Google Stadia Pro, and three months free of Discord Nitro. Wow. Find your next adventure at playbackbone.com slash filmcast. That's P-L-A-Y-B-A-C-K-B-O-N-E dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. I watched another movie called, uh, or a show uh, called Bullshit the Game on Netflix. Of course you did. This caught my attention because Howie Mandel's been giving a ton of interviews and he uh, he's been talking about how like he's he foresees the end of comedy, like stand-up comedy as a thing that's coming because like A, a lot of people don't seem to like stand-up comedy anymore. B, he he feels people are emboldened to just get up on stage and hit people, you know, who are doing stand-up comedy these days and uh, and so I was interested in that and, you know, I was interested in his remarks, just, you know, I don't necessarily agree with them, but I'm just kind of, you know, fascinated to hear what he has to say. Uh, and then he's also promoting this show called Bullshit the Game. And he's, he was saying, yeah, you know, I don't do things for money anymore, right? I only <laughs> do things because I'm interested. Cause you know, you got to imagine how Mandel is pretty rich at this point. So he's like, why would I, you know, I, I can do, I, I can choose the projects that I want to do. Right. 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 And so he's doing the show called Bullshit the Game. And uh, I don't think it's great, but I will say this. It is the perfect show for our times because <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a good thing. I don't know if you guys recall, but if you guys have seen like the quiz show or if you've seen any of those old quiz shows, right? Like, uh-huh, uh-huh. The sure. quiz show, the uh, Ron Howard movie, I think, right? Yeah. 
Uh, quiz shows on television used to be, and to some degree still are, uh, incredibly... I'm sorry, Robert Redford, not Ron Howard. Robert Redford made the quiz show. Uh, quiz shows used to be, and to some degree still are, with shows like Jeopardy, incredibly challenging, right? Like, they used to be like, you need to know the answers to some of the most obscure minutiae in existence. Uh, or you need to be able to problem solve at a level that most of the, the human population cannot. And if you do that, you can win basically a pittance. You can win, you know, $5,000 or whatever, right? Uh, I'm being, I'm exaggerating, of course. As time has gone on, uh, these kind of game shows have gotten dumber, uh, of which Howie Mandel's Deal or No Deal is one example, right? Like, yes, there is some uh, concepts about marginal utility that would help you understand to play Deal or No Deal, but in general, you just need to choose the right suitcase. That's what Deal or No Deal is. Well, I, I feel like Bullshit the Game is on even another level beyond that, right? Which is, you don't need to know the right answer. That's the premise of Bullshit the Game. Bullshit the Game is kind of like a character or a person is answering all these trivia questions. But you don't even need to know the right answer. You can advance in the game by convincing others that you know the right answer. You know what I'm saying? By yeah, bullshitting. This is, this is Dunning-Kruger the game? Mm-hmm. Like, you can basically just say, hey, so the question will be like, you know... Um, What's the color? What's the color of a zebra? And you know, black and white, red and blue, or whatever. And then the person needs to say, like, I think it's red and blue because my father once took me to see a zebra when I was three, and it was red and blue all over. You know, like, and they, they tell a little story about how they know the answer. And if one person on a panel of three contestants agrees with them, then they advance on in the game no matter what. So they either need to know the right answer, or they need to convince you they know the right answer, and that's that's enough. This is, uh, uh, by the way, wait, wait, don't tell me on NPR has been doing this for like 30 years. Yeah. What is What is the game they play on that? It's like they're, uh, they're, the fake news stories, right? They just have to convince someone that they, they, they read three news stories. Yeah. Three, three people read three different news. What is it like? There's a, it's called something. It's called like choose the lie or liar of the week or something like that. I don't something know. like mm. that. I can't remember. Yeah, right yeah, now, it's going to bother me now. Um, yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, don't tell me a liar segment. Anyway. I'm going to, um, dang it. Uh, all right. Well, please, you know what? You know what? I'm going to say this. Don't write in with the answer <laughs> because I'm going to figure it out by the time. Yeah. Don't tweet me. Don't email. You're not because, helping. Yeah. Okay. This is also, this is also the classic board game, Boulder Dash, right? Boulder Dash. Yeah, Boulder Dash yeah. is, uh, you write down, uh, definitions of words. And if you can convince someone that it's the right definition, even though it might not be, you you get point. I mean, there's this is not a new concept, right? Uh, but uh, but I think you know the the thrill is like there's really big prizes at stake, up to a million dollars, and also you're kind of watching it play out in front of you. It's you're, you're like watching a Boulder Dash game in front of you. It's like watching apples to apples. You know that's what the the thing is. Um, that's nothing like apples to apples. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Jeff! <laughs> Jeff, really demonstrating the board game. Uh, Absolutely, knowledge this week. Anyway, uh, it's it's the perfect show for our times because no longer do you need to have uh, the correct knowledge. No longer do you need to do you need to have the correct skills. All you need to be able to do is bullshit people into thinking you can do it, 
And for that, I. you can e. win up to a million dollars. American politics right yes. now. <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. Exactly. So uh, I don't think the show is great because I think most people actually aren't very good at this. Like, Or they, they don't do it in a particularly compelling way. Uh, but but I do think there's something about this that kind of really represents, uh, you know, our times. But at least you, know, you get that sweet, sweet Mandel commentary. Indeed. Indeed. So, he hasn't okay. lost a step. I had a chance to watch. So that's bullshit. The game it's available on Netflix. They dropped the whole season on Netflix. I think it's kind of weird to drop a whole season of a game yeah. show on Netflix. Why would you do that? You know, make it, it just make it the thing. You know, it's just it's just weird. It, it's it's like I, I feel like a game show. I feel like for me, mm-hmm. part of the joy of a game show is like the week to week. We're all watching it together, kind of experience of it, mm-hmm. and so dropping it all at once makes me. It just feels like it's incompatible with the format. Yeah. I will say one thing that is re- also really weird and funny about the show is there is crowd reaction noise, but no crowd. So <laughs> I think they shot it with no crowd because of COVID, but uh-huh. they still put in the crowd reaction, like laughter and yeah. awe and ooh, you know, like all the crowd reaction noise. And it's kind of hilarious because it's very clearly fake crowd reaction. <laughs> it's consistent with the theme of bullshit. Indeed, yeah. they're bullshitting you on the crowd reaction. I would love to see the show like filtered through the I think you should leave guys, you know, like the way mm-hmm. they do those uh, jokey shows, you know, uh, best baby in the world and everything <laughs> yeah. like just do it like that give us i want more of that um it I is the guys, little buff boys of, little buff uh, boys yeah so uh, excited they announced season three is happening yes yeah. so season excited. three of i think you should leave us I, I will say because of the fake crowd reaction it does feel kind of like an i think you should leave yeah stage. that that's what so. i'm imagining starring <laughs> howie mandel you know the guy you remember from the 90s who is now like I didn't realize he was a germaphobe until like a couple years ago. So like now that it is yeah, interesting exactly. to see him navigate exactly, everything yeah. now too. Um, by the way, did you guys see the report that Netflix is looking at live streaming now? Like slowly, Netflix is just becoming TV. You know, like live <laughs> shows. Like that's yeah. it. That's where we've come back to. But other places have a head start on them, man. You yeah. Know? I think literally every other major every sh- everywhere else every yeah. other major streaming platform has some kind of live streaming uh, functionality already. Mm-hmm. Um, Hulu, uh, not HBO Max, but like Hulu does, Prime Video does, uh, Peacock does. Like they all have like live streaming functionality, so they're playing catch up now. Mm-hmm. Bluff the listener, bluff the yes. listener. Bluff the listener. Yes. Yeah, that's the name of the segment. I've listened to that show for decades, and I I barely remember anything from from wait wait. Yeah. I've seen wait wait live. It's just it's all I've seen wait wait live as well. I've seen wait wait live as well, and yeah. And, wait, I, wait. I have I have grown very disenchanted. <laughs> with yeah, wait, wait, yeah, 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 well, yeah, it, yeah, it because, seems like it's from a different era it, yeah. like there was a, it was a, it's from a simpler time it's simpler it kind time, of is from yeah. like the john stewart era you know yes in, for yeah. sure right. yeah. like the john stewart very... era, uh, hey let's all just poke fun at the like it, it when it, things felt like lower stakes yeah mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. Exactly. to some of us i should point out to some of us not to all of us um other people have realized the hellscape we've been living in for many many decades but <laughs> anyway um so bullshit the game <laughs> Not great, but it has some funny things about it, and it does fully encapsulate our times. Check it out on Netflix. All right, let's talk about Under the Banner of Heaven. Devendra, mm-hmm. you and I both watched uh, some of this. I watched one episode. How many? How much Under the Banner of Heaven did you watch? I watched one, and uh, honestly, that felt pretty meaty because this is a mini series, you know, and they're not—they're not, not going to continue this. It seems like so. <laughs> so this is, is this is yeah. a mini series based off of the John Krakauer book, mm-hmm. uh, which was published in two thousand three. And yeah, we both watched an episode. Man, I, I got to tell you, Devendra, like mm-hmm. these streaming shows, so many streaming shows. Like I'm watching The Staircase now too on yeah, HBO, yeah, which is yeah. great. Um, but many of these shows have like one plus hour long episodes, and it's just like 
It's that's, rough. That's a lot, man. Like, I and really... there's also so many like murder mystery shows now too. Yeah. I was like, I was looking between this and the Elizabeth Moss one on Apple TV Plus. I'm yeah. like, Shining first Girls. of all, yeah. Shining Girls. I also feel like I have seen that show already. It was called Top of the Lake, and it was fantastic. I don't know mm. if they need to see that again. So that that what... is on my list because Michelle McLaren yes. Uh, yes. directed some episodes. So mm-hmm. I gotta mm-hmm. I gotta show up for Michelle McLaren no matter what mm-hmm. she's doing. Um, but under the banner of heaven, uh, I. Don't know if I love this show, but mm-hmm. it does have Andrew Garfield doing some really intense acting, and I think Andrew Garfield is an undeniably he's good, uh, compelling actor. You know, whatever, like, I, like he is so charismatic. Yes, no matter what he's yes, doing, no matter yeah. what he's, doing. and you got it. Like uh, I, it is worth watching this show just for him alone because he is doing some really interesting work here. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but under the banner of heaven, it's a true crime s- story about something terrible that happened in the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's basically like a procedural that is about this crime that takes place and they're trying to solve the, Andrew Garfield plays a detective trying to solve the crime. He's also a member of the LDS church. Um, and it, it's, the story is told via a lot of flashbacks with kind of some of the people involved with the crime. Mm-hmm. And Devinger, what do you think of the show so far? I so let me tell you, like there's so many other true crime things to watch right now, and the reason I started watching this is because it's created by Dustin Lance Black, and I find him to be a really, really interesting writer. He, he wrote uh, the movie Milk. Uh, he created the TV series Big Love, which is an entire show about you know a family, a family of Mormons, and extended you know having multiple wives and whatnot. And he is somebody he grew up under that community too. So I think his lens into this world is really interesting. So a detective, a detective story, you know, about a devout Mormon detective who's trying to work within this community and trying to basically like figure out something brutal that happened. Um, to me, that is really, really interesting. Plus, it stars Andrew Garfield and it has some really interesting uh, people in the cast too. Uh, Sam Worthington has popped up again. Yeah, he's in the show. He's looking really good too. Like, yeah, he's really. looking like he uh-huh. hasn't aged a day since. Um, what was that other big movie he was in? <laughs> he was a, Man, uh, Man on Ledge. Man on Ledge. Yeah, put him, yeah. they put him in a uh, in a tube in uh, New Zealand for ten <laughs> years. You know, that's, that's, that's how those movies get made. Well, he he looks older now, and he has like more like his face. I think grew into you know his body a little more. Like he looked so like um, vanilla to me in Avatar, whereas now is like I don't know. He, he his mature face is more interesting to me. Also has Wyatt Russell in it and uh, Daisy Edgar Jones, who I really liked in. Uh, uh, normal people on Hulu. So great cast. It's more like the lens into this world that I think is really uh, interesting because there is it's a lot of a lot of weird stuff going on. I, under, I mean, under I will LDS say, churches. yeah, there's not that much Mormon content in general. Like, I don't watch mm-hmm. that much Mormon related content. Yes, exactly. And so I think anytime and there this is, is a Mormon large related... community that has a huge like impact in certain portions of this country. So it's, yeah, yeah. It's, so it's just it's very interesting whenever there is any Mormon related content. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one is a weird one. Uh, well, well, I will say that this this show does not make the Mormon Church look good at all. No, like, it, it's, it's entirely well, about they a do a pretty detective. good job of that themselves. Yeah, but it's about this detective basically having a crisis of faith because um, a guy, uh, a murder suspect for this uh, just really gross case he's looking at, um, is just like, hey, hey, man. Like, well, here's everything. Here's the history. You know, here here is where how the church started. Here are all the like weird hypocrisies, you know, we're living with. And the real specter of it is like fundamentalism and like what a truly devout group and or family would do to protect their beliefs. And I think that's really relevant right now, too. Yeah. So 
I don't know if I'm going to continue watching. I will say it's been the first episode was extremely bleak. It's yeah, not it's so bleak. It's not really a, a fun watch. Um, but I might keep going just for the Andrew Garfield mm-hmm. of it all. So we'll see. He's good, and it's not it's not like sensationalistic because he walks into a crime scene, which I think a lot of other people, a lot of other like creators, would show you everything, mm. and it sounds horrific. Um, so. This show really tiptoes around all that stuff and is more interested in the character dynamics. Like, what 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 does this murder mean for this entire community? How does it, you know, change this detective's beliefs? I find that all really compelling. It's really well made and well written too. So, I think that like um, perspective coming from somebody who lived through this church and grew up in it, I think is really uh, intriguing to me. Yeah. Know? So it's under the banner of heaven. It's streaming right now on Hulu. All three of us had a chance to watch Hacks season two. Mm-hmm. Episodes one and two, I assume. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I have not yet. I I oh, cannot wait yet. to watch okay. this. No, this is a can only watch with my wife because we yeah. we uh this is top love, tier. Yeah, Streaming. loved the yeah. first season so much. But uh, it was her birthday weekend this weekend. She went out went uh, out of town. I go to Atlanta every weekend now. So yeah, we haven't had a chance to watch it. But I'm excited, very excited to check mm-hmm. it out. Got it. Um. Well, I'm just gonna say, a huge fan of Hack season one. Uh, and I, I'm going to vaguely allude to what happens in Hacks season two, episodes episodes one and two. Um, so Jeff, if you wanna if you wanna take off the headphones, I totally understand. But um, I'm gonna say that I, I thought Hacks season one was like pretty much perfect. Mm-hmm. Like it was yeah. like an incredible season of television. And Hacks season two may end up being very very good as well. I didn't love the first two episodes. I think mm. because they spent so much time dealing with the events of the end of hack season one which is a felt pretty big more deal. like yeah it, it felt more like we we just got to resolve a lot of this stuff that happened at the end of season one um rather than really starting the like i actually feel like at the end of the second episode of hack season two now we're finally starting the new story That's right kind of right right like. right um so but it's great to see these characters back and they're obviously all like extremely skilled but it just is like mm, like yeah, there, there's some things that like literally like they reset the status quo on some things mm-hmm. uh, to get it back to where it was in hack season one. So didn't love the first two episodes. Devendra, what'd you think? Uh, I mean, I, I love them. Uh, I, I could totally see like they had to reset certain characters to, uh, I don't know, to, to give them some place to grow this season. But uh, that, that bigger revelation from the end of season one plays out here and it's meaningful. Like it means a lot to these characters, certainly the like core pairing, of Gene Smart's character and Hannah and Bender's character. So I'm glad it treats that all um, very... Yeah, I'm, like, I'm glad like it takes important. it seriously, for sure. Yeah. But it, it, it felt more like this kind of felt like it should have almost been in season one almost, you know? I, I, it doesn't I don't make sense. Wouldn't have made sense because of the arc of season one, but, you know. Anyway. Yeah. But, but I mean, this but, is beginning a new arc, and I think the end of season, the end of episode two of the season is just like, oh, this is they. This is why they release both episodes. I think because yeah, exactly. you need to watch them together to see like agreed everything. Agreed. And yeah. I think where it leaves us at the end of episode two is really, really intriguing, really yeah. astounding. Yeah, yeah. I still love these characters. It's still really funny. The side characters are still great. Like uh, the that one, the one crazy like secretary for uh, for her agent. Um, they just like continue to come up with new things and really like push the sitcom zaniness of it. So I think it's I- I'm still enjoying it. Like if I had all episodes in front of me, I would have watched it all this. Oh, this totally. Weekend. Oh, yeah. totally. Yeah, I- I'm still a big fan of the show, and I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. Uh, and I just love what they're doing with these characters. So, uh, and the performances—they're they're really amazing performances. Mm-hmm. So I trust I trust these showrunners. I was just like, mm, like this really felt like it's kind of. 
you know, tying up a lot of stuff. And then now I feel like now the story could finally begin. So mm-hmm. anyway, Hack Season 2 is streaming on HBO Max. Speaking of HBO Max, you also had a chance to see Made for Love Season 2. This is a show that I felt like, I, I thought when it ended, that was it for the show. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah when yeah. Season 1 ended, I was like, is this, there's not going to be any more Made for Love. Like that mm-hmm. is the end of the show. Um, so I was really surprised when they announced that the show was renewed and even more surprised when I found it, it already debuted, right? Like With all, it, all the episodes just right all, there. Full yeah. drop, full drop. It's interesting to see which ones they choose to drop all at once. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think, uh, you the, know, the ones uh, they have less faith in sometimes. Yeah. That's yeah. my, that's my <laughs> sense is like the shows that they don't have a lot of faith are going to drop uh-huh. a ton of buzz. They just drop all at once. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm not sure. I, I don't, I don't know exactly what the strategy or the calculation that goes into it is all that said, uh, did this show Made for Love need a season two, Devendra? What do you think? Uh, I, I think it needed season two. I think it needed maybe a better season two. I have seen all these episodes because my wife is really into the show. Um, we really enjoyed together the first season. I thought that was a really well done look at, um, I, I, you know, the way technology can kind of control us, but also like the the domineering aspects of some men and how they literally like control the women in their lives. Um, the second season of this show just feels like it is again, um, leading off of a big mystery from the end of the first season. And I don't think they do that much with it. Like characters make some decisions. There's some like new tech that gets introduced and a lot of people make a lot of dumb decisions. And I hate, I kind of hate it when a show does that. And I almost wonder if, um, the effect of this is comes from the fact that uh, Patrick Somerville, who was like lead writer, I think showrunner for the last season, uh, went on to do Station Eleven. So he was mm. he was kind of not around for this one. I mean, there are a lot of talented people involved in the show. I just feel like it it doesn't have the spark of season one that I really really appreciated. So you know, something's missing. Um, it, it's pretty solid. I would watch season three, but I really hope they like tighten things up a bit because. It, it's funny, but it's not like as um, deep or like based in character as the first season was, I'd say. All right. Well, mm-hmm. sorry you didn't enjoy Made for Love season two quite like as it's much. Fine. It's perfectly fine. Yeah. yeah. It's it seems like it's all right. It's not it's not terrible or anything, mm-hmm. um, but you didn't love it as much as season one. I'm I'm on the fence. I don't know if I should check it out. It sounds like. Yeah, not, not I think it's worth enthusiast. watching the first couple episodes yeah, just to see like yeah. where things go. But yeah, yeah. if you're if you're on the fence, uh, like if you didn't like Hack season two, like to me this is far less even like far less impressive than that. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, well, uh, you know, I have only seen the first couple episodes of Hack mm-hmm, season two, and, mm-hmm. and I'm probably gonna love Hack season two. I, I mean, yeah. I, yeah. Once I, we I see think, where it's going, I, yeah. you know, I think also that like I was I was reading an interview with them with uh, some of the people behind the show and. I think it's really tough because uh, I am going to describe the arc of Hacks season one, but you have this show like Hacks season one or Ted Lasso season one, right? Where uh, the arc of the show is uh, a character that's like not, uh, or two characters that don't like each other, um, like try start liking each other basically right that's kind of the arc of mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. season one of T- it turns out also... they're more alike than they realize right or in the case of ted, yeah in the yeah. case of ted lasso it's like everyone doesn't like ted lasso and they realize it like and it's like once they sort of like each other or respect each other it's like it's very difficult to figure out where to go from there because you you need to either like introduce more differences to make them like not like each other again um, or take the story in like completely different directions, mm-hmm. right? And or a big conflict, um, you know? Yeah, or b- yeah. some kind of big conflict. So it's just like I, I, 
have a great deal of respect for anyone who's trying to like make that work because I just don't think it's very easy. Um, and I have the full confidence that they will make it work for Hex. Um, and uh, so anyway, just just a thing to reflect on is that like we, we've seen amazing kind of debut seasons of television that are about people who don't like each other starting to like each other. And then it's like from there, it's very difficult to then generate something that's quite as compelling. So, uh, okay. That's what Davinger's been watching. Jeff Kanata. What have you been watching, man? The kids in the hall are back. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? I, uh, I got to tell you, I, I, if you have been listening to this show uh, recently, we we did a, uh, I guess I, I guess it was an After Dark. So if you're an After Dark listener, we did a retrospective on the Martin Scorsese film Bringing Out the Dead mm-hmm. uh, for our Nicolas Cage week. Mm-hmm. And uh, during that review, I mentioned how there is a, you know, that movie is set in the 90s, was created in the 90s, and has soundtrack that is very 90s. And I uh, I mused how pleasurable it was to be brought back to the 90s, uh, even for just a moment, while watching that movie. I got to tell you. <laughs> the kids in the hall theme popping on. It's like, I am back. I'm back in the early 90s just for a moment. Oh, just that experience alone. Was it's just incredible to be back there just for a second. It's my my greatest wish is to just live in the '90s for one more day. Um, but if you're not a fan of the Kids in the Hall, I think you may still actually enjoy this. The Kids in the Hall sketch comedy group from the early '90s. Lorne Michaels produced it. It was kind of the this alternative to Saturday Night Live in a lot of ways, very, very much, very different kind of, of comedy, much more absurd, much, much more um, offbeat and, and, and Canadian. Let's be frank. It's Canadian, very Canadian show. Uh, and it was uh, very beloved to me at that time. And now the original cast is back uh, 30 years later, almost. And th- we've seen Lots of these kinds of experiments not work, you know, even uh, with smaller gaps between production. I'm thinking of beloved show like Arrested Development, you know, where it's like, oh, yes, they're bringing, they're doing more of them. Yes. Oh, why? No, they should not have. That's mm, disappointing. Very much a fear I had uh, with the kids in the hall. It's like these guys are older. They haven't done this together in a long time. This could very much feel like, a oh you sh- bad idea it, it, it really trying too hard not my experience watching these new episodes at all very funny feels fresh yes are a lot of the jokes about being old yes but they're still very funny still very is that what jeff needs to hear at this point in his life also yes probably true probably true uh, i'm relating a little more to it than i should i mean these guys are older than me uh, quite a bit older than me but um, it's still uh, ridiculous and funny. And I am so heartened at now having watched uh, nearly all of these. I'm not quite through the entire uh, new season that dropped on Amazon Prime. Um, but I, what I was worried about was it was going to be like, hey, remember all our old characters? 
Look, remember, look, I'm squishing your mm-hmm. face. I'm squishing. Remember all the characters we used to do? Yeah, we can we can put the same wigs on again. Yeah, yeah. Not that. It very much is not that. It very much feels like they came into this with fresh ideas and uh, brimming with creativity. And I I love it. I, there's there's many times where I was doubled over in laughter. There's a sketch in, I think, episode three that is about um, wishing a a bust of Shakespeare back to life or to life uh, that is so friggin' funny. Um, there's another <laughs> sketch early in the season about a, a doctor, uh, a, a OBGYN who's going to give birth and bragging about his drop rate on babies is only 60%. <laughs> it's like really, really, really very funny stuff. Um, and the, the most interesting thing about this new kids in the hall, you know, the, OG Kids in the Hall series in the 90s, there really weren't cable networks like we have now. And they it was, you know, it was on a, a television. It was on television. It was on a television that was restrained by the, the uh, guidelines of television. And now they're on Amazon Prime and uh, they are unrestrained. There, there's F-bombs. There is nudity. There is... Uh, it, it, it is interesting that there it's much raunchier than it's ever been, which could feel like a crutch, but here it, it does not just because of the cleverness and creativity of these these guys. Uh, it really feels like uh, it has added something rather than feeling like, oh, they just get to be raunchy now. But I will tell you, I watched these mo- for the most part on an iPad in the middle seat of an uh-huh. airplane. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a and lot of dong. Ten min- about 10 minutes into episode one, you started questioning your <laughs> There's a lot of right? dong in this show, Dave. Yep. And you, you go, uh, okay, well, they did dong in in in, in episode yeah, one. They I'm got sure it they- out of their system. They got it out of their system. You think right? that, yeah, that, well, at least, woo, got, got past that. Hopefully none of the people sitting next to me on the airplane uh, noticed how much <laughs> dong I was watching. Uh, uh, at least I want to go on to the next episode. We'll, we'll be yeah. fine. Whoa, hey! Yeah, good thing those kids sitting next to you were okay. We like didn't look, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, so yeah, there's lots of um, male genitalia. So be warned <laughs> if you're going to watch this on an airplane, as I did. Be warned. But uh, <laughs> very, very funny. I, I, I'm so pleased to have them back and not feel like it was a bad idea. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I, I've heard great things. I, I, so here's my story with Kids in the Hall mm-hmm. is I, I haven't been a huge fan of uh, the original. You know, I've seen some sketches and, you know, isolated sketches I've really enjoyed, but it's not like something that I have a lot of affection for. But I heard some people talking about the new one and how awesome it was, um, including friend of the show, Danish Syed. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to check this out. It's on Prime Video. I, I, I opened it up. Um, my friend Carter is with me. And let me just say, guys, Sketch comedy is really specific. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it's especially these to his, guys. Yeah, it's specific to like personalities. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, if you don't have a personality for like, I think you should leave on Netflix is a very specific mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. work of genius sensibility, right? Sensibility. And and if you're not into it, you're not into it. And it's like it's hard to, you know, mm-hmm. you, you and the thing is, you can't predict. You can't you predict. Can't. But I, I, I do it. love the ones that are just like so extreme, like I think you should leave, where you could drop it on somebody. And it's like a nuclear bomb. You know, it's like I've never seen 
anything like this before. And I love that experience of having somebody be really into it and not realize they were into this thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the thing about sketch comedy is they're not all going to be bangers. Yep. No matter what, like the, my yeah. favorite sketch comedy of all time, Mr. Show with Bob and David. I adore it. I, I Kids in the hall. Uh, I think you should leave. No matter what, as a sketch comedy, they're not all going to be home runs. Mm-hmm. The best of them have a better batting average than, you know, the worst of them. But it's just, they're not all going to hit, right? But that's the way, that's that's what sketch comedy is. That's kind of the fun of it is like, am I into this sketch? What What is this sketch doing? So. Yeah, uh, well, anyway, point being, I only ended up watching 10 minutes of the first episode. Because <laughs> <laughs> you got to the dong. Yeah, I don't think uh, my friend Carter was really excited about seeing that dong, unfortunately. Well, let me tell you something, David. There's more where that came mm-hmm, from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so be, be be warned. But it is it is worth it. It is very, very funny. I mean, I thought that sketch was pretty funny. Uh, that yeah. it's, it's, it's But you pretty can fun. imagine someone not thinking it's funny. Oh, yes. It's very funny, but it, yes. And there's, I mean, there's like a, there's a sketch uh, about, I don't even want to tell you. There's, there's a lot. Of, it's very yeah. raunchy. It's yeah. very raunchy. Much raunchier yeah. than the original Kids in the Hall because they couldn't do that on network TV um, but or even cable TV at that Here's time. Here's a pro, t- pro tip, by the way. Um, when you're on an airplane, you can put like a jacket or a sweater or something um, over oh, yeah. your seat. No, that's make definitely sure no one behind uh, yeah, you. Yeah, behind you can see through the cracks. Of make the make sure you clean your glasses while you're doing that. You know, just like <laughs> just really wipe those frames. Make sure they're clean, and nobody's gonna have any problems with you. <laughs> There's definitely nothing weirder about covering your head while watching nudity. Uh-huh. No, 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 no. I'm not saying cover yeah. your head. I'm saying just cover the cracks of your seat, like behind. Put it on your seat. You know what I'm saying? That's all I'm saying. That doesn't I mean, help. I was in the middle seat. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, the people next to you are, they're yeah, going to catch yeah. everything you're doing. Yeah. Um, here, That's you worse. just have to say, guys, is it okay if I pitch a tent over here? You know, <laughs> just nothing yeah, weird just, about just, that. Just check with people about that before yeah, you do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that will seem extreme. No one will talk to the air marshal at all about that. <laughs> um, Jeff, on an After Dark, we also discussed you possibly using Sony WH-1000XM4 headphones. Yes. Are you using them on your flight? What do you think of them? Uh, so here's the thing, fellas. Um, uh, we had, I had an incredible listener, as I mentioned, uh, yes. send me some of uh, the, the, the M3s, I think the previous generation. Got it. Got it. Yes. But, also uh, very good. Yep. Also very, very good. And I am, uh, extremely grateful for that. Uh, it was Melissa M who sent those. Thank you, Melissa. I, I have thanked her, um, uh, by DM, but I will, I will do so here again. It is an extraordinarily generous thing to do. And it uh, it has been uh, you uh, did not exaggerate the level of envelopment that happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You are inside uh, a little cocoon of audio, yes, uh, that is uh, buffered from the the loud noise of the aeroplane, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, which is delightful. Here's the downside. Uh oh, I knew this was coming. Yeah. Yep. Here's yep. the only downside. And, and I will say the Sony uh, noise canceling is probably the best. I've encountered in a consumer yeah. grade headphone, even better than like AirPods Max. Or Bose, or Bose, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, or Bose, yeah. <sighs> this is very specific to me and is not reflective <laughs> of the technology. Mm-hmm. In and of Do itself, you get the but, sucking in your ears? Is that what it well, feels like? I, yeah. I, I mean, I get my ears are, are, are have a hard time with things pressing on them for mm-hmm. long periods of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's yeah. not what even what I'm getting to. What I'm getting to is 
Um, I fly to Atlanta uh, Friday. I come back Saturday. I have decided, determined that the best, most efficient way for me to do this incredibly fast turnaround trip is to not only not check luggage, but not even have an overhead compartment piece of luggage. Wow! Wow! So I can I can just get on the plane at any point. Uh-huh. I'm 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 flying in I'm flying Delta. It's, it's like you're and, hopping on the subway over here. Yeah. Yeah, and and <laughs> so I have an assigned seat, right? So. I don't even have to worry about getting the precious overhead uh, luggage yeah. compartment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I yeah. literally, I'm just in a backpack. I'm in a backpack. Mm-hmm. So I have uh, basically one change of clothes for the next day yeah. and all the electronics that I need, which is yeah. a laptop. Headphones my, take up too much space. It's too much yeah. space. Yeah. So I had this, something I won't need to get into the details in, but I had a catastrophic event with my phone that required me to get a new phone. And in getting the new phone, I actually got a store credit at the Apple store, uh, mm-hmm. which I immediately applied to the uh, AirPods Pro. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that has become the uh, the go-to airplane uh, yeah. experience simply because yeah. for, it's for small, just convenience. compact, yeah. easy to carry on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but, you, yep, but I will definitely agree with you guys. It is a vastly inferior yes. mm-hmm. uh, noise-canceling experience. I also yes. would have recommended the Beats Fit Bro because yeah. they're a better seal, better sound. Um, yeah, that's one I, thing. I was surprised you didn't go with Beats Fit because yeah. that was what Devendra recommended. I, well, I, I think that, yeah. I, I was at the Apple store. I had this credit. Uh, I just said, hey, do you, uh, can I buy the Apple, uh, the AirPods like, Pro with One AirPod, please. Yeah, and then yeah. he's like, sure, <laughs> dude. And, I, and, and then I walked away with those. So that's mm-hmm. what It's happened. all good. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, the Sonys, I would say, um, walking around with them on your neck you know, just like dangle them and you can fold the earbuds in. Those are kind of nice. Although there is a new, they just announced the new ones and they, they don't fold anymore, don't which makes fold. it even harder yeah. to, uh, yeah. to travel with, which is annoying. Yeah. That's a shame. But also Je- Je- Jeff probably doesn't want a thing dangling around his yeah, neck. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Like, he, he only wants yeah. dangling things on his iPad that he's showing to his seatmates. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. There's a lot, of, a lot of dangling. I only want dangling things that I can attach to my Banshee in Avatar. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I will say, I want to say one more thing before we get out of the segment. Yeah, sure. And that is, it's, it's not you, it's me. I, w- I want just to point that out right at the top. It's, I fully understand <laughs> it's me, but there was a low, there was a great hue and cry in my mentions this week, in my emails <laughs> of people begging me to give <laughs> Star Trek Strange New Worlds another mm-hmm. try. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I listened and I did. I even paid extra money to that uh, Paramount Plus subscription mm-hmm. in order to be able to give it another shot. I, I, I couldn't get through the first episode. I still can't. What? I, I tried. I couldn't get this through the first episode. This is insane to me, Jeff. But this okay. is... People yeah. keep saying, this is a show made for you, Jeff. This is, this is uh, it, completely your sensibility. This is, uh, you gotta try it. You got, yes, maybe that Spock sex thing was weird. Don't, it, get past, you can do it. It's great. It's great. And Devendra said it's great. Yeah. Everybody has said it's great. I, I got as far as them going down to the planet. And I was, I just, I, I don't like this show. I do not like it. <laughs> it's amazing. I don't Amazing. like it. It's a weird, it's like Star Trek, the previous generation is what it should be called. Sure. Um, and I, I, I don't, I don't, it, it, 
it's just not clicking with me and I can't even articulate exactly why, but yeah. it's the, the show feels cheap to me and it feels I what forced. That is one thing like uh, objectively that looks like one of the most expensive shows I- I've seen in a long time. I don't, I don't mean know, it, Jeff. I don't I mean don't in know. a cheap production ah. value way. I mean, in a kind of like, Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it's a throwback it is yeah. specifically a throwback and maybe we're we're just so used to very very different things now so i i understand jeff like you're just uh we're, we're all a bit broken down by peak tv so it's like going back yes. to something that is almost like old school feels weird too yeah i think that's that's probably part of it um also you know not everything's for everybody and we all you know sometimes this stuff just doesn't click and it's, it's okay. okay it doesn't mean it's not good I'm sure it is. I, mm-hmm. I just could not, I couldn't get through it. I was like, I have I, I other would, things I want to be watching. I would eventually love to talk with uh, you guys about the end of that episode, maybe with Tasha Robinson too, because she had a really good uh, Twitter thread about like a, a momentous thing that happens at the end of this episode, which is both like very weird and kind of moving, but also a, a very strange thing that Star Trek tries well, to do. In the, the yeah. I will watch it this week. Yes. I will watch it this week. It That's was a good on my list. topic at some point. It was on my list, but... Um, now I have to because yeah. of Jeff's reaction. Yeah. Well, now you're going to just prove me wrong completely. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Crush you. Crush uh, you. Half yeah. of the stuff I watch on the show is because of spite. Yes. Um, on this podcast. you know, And the so. other half is self-loathing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys did just suggest rewatching Jurassic World. So, yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, have you got my number, Jeff? <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, that's Kids in the Hall uh, on Prime Video. It's also Star Trek uh, Brave New Worlds. Strange New Worlds? Is Strange it? New Worlds. Strange yeah. New Worlds on Paramount+. Plus, uh, and I will check it out this week. I, I, I It was on my list, but I'm like, you know, got to diversify the, what we've been watching. But this week, it's going to be me watching Star Trek, and we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay. Let's get to some weekly plugs. Weekly plugs a part of the show each week where we plug something else we've made. Um, I want to plug the Better Call Saul recaps I'm doing on my personal Patreon page, patreon.com slash Dave Chen. A lot of people have asked me over the years, hey, are you still doing the Better Call Saul podcast? And uh, I'm not <laughs> doing that podcast anymore, but I am doing some recaps on my personal Patreon page at patreon.com slash Dave Chen. So if you want to hear me talk Better Call Saul on this final season, which is excellent uh then head on over to patreon.com slash dave chen okay divin your hardware your weekly plug oh yeah uh google io was last week that's their big like developer and product uh, announcement event and uh, we did an episode of that uh on the engadget podcast so be sure to check that out we break down a lot of the new things they talk about and also like why i don't know some of it feels a little anticlimactic and uh yeah it's a good chat so so weird I've for them to that. announce Ooh the next phone like they do six that. months before do it that comes out yeah yeah like last time it was like last summer they announced the chip that would be in the new phone google's not great with this stuff you guys so it's just, it's just weird to, to announce a thing you know like you uh-huh. don't announce a thing while the previous thing is still selling in general right and while you release a cheaper version of the previous <laughs> thing which is almost like the previous yeah yeah it's google man it's weird i, it's weird. I did like that watch though hmm. it's fine looks fine i think it's yeah. pretty jeff canada your weekly plug I do a show that I don't mention enough here. Uh, I do a show called We Have Concerns. I do that with Anthony Carboni. And it is a comedy science show. So we talk about science and we make uh, make it the haha, make it the funny. 
Uh, so you can learn something <laughs> and laugh said. along the way. It's uh, it's award winning. It's it's an award winning science program, uh, and uh, that's that's true. That's not that's not something I'm just saying. Uh, and I highly recommend you check it out. Uh, episode six hundred ninety five came out last week, uh, and I think it's a pretty darn good one. It was about uh, this robot that uh, somebody has uh, decided to create. Uh, that looks a lot like uh, slime or, you know, maybe even a, a, a poop. Uh, and you're supposed to swallow it and then it'll mm-hmm, it can mm-hmm. go inside your body and do cool things. Sounds like nanotech, Jeff. Your favorite. Yeah, a little bit like favorite. nanotech. You know what it doesn't do? It doesn't transform immediately into a gun out of thin Not air. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> All right. Jeff hates nanotech in Marvel films, by the way, I for do. those who are curious I despise what's going it. on there. In anything, really. But, but check yeah. out We Have Concerns. It's at wehaveconcerns.com. And you can uh, see or, or hear all 695 episodes, if you like. Here's the question about nanotech in, in Marvel films, right? Is, is there... Basically, Iron Man's suit can now do everything, right? Like, mm-hmm, there, there's mm-hmm. nothing it can't do anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I remember... Um, in what Avengers Infinity War, when like they they uh, blew a hole in the side of the ship and they flushed out that guy, and then his suit could like spray stuff that like you know uh, that, that like created a wall in the ship, like you know mm-hmm. patched up the ship, right? Or it can it can create like ice, you know, whenever it needs to. And it's like, what what commands is he issuing in that thing to get it to do that stuff? You know what I'm yeah, saying? Right. Yeah, no, it's it's his thoughts are just made manifest. Yeah, it's yeah. it's no 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 different from magic. It's yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's it's a magic suit at this point, which it's is like so frustrating. I mean, mm-hmm. there is a reason why the mechanical web shooters on Spider-Man are better from a narrative perspective. It's because they can fail, they can run out of things, they can mm-hmm. they're they're they are uh Well, uh, they failed in, in Spider-Man 2, the yeah. Raimi movie as well. It, it you know, depends. Like, like it's how you for, write it, but yeah, they fail because it's a character thing. It's almost yeah. like a male male virility thing. Yeah. yeah. Well yeah. okay, so well not not to obfuscate the point, but the <laughs> Uh, having limits, having a clear defined rule set as to how this piece of technology works Mm -hmm. is better. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Um, Anyway, we'll see. It's a good thing. We don't need to deal with Iron Man anymore in the, uh, in the Marvel (laughs) franchise, but we'll see. It's a scourge. Uh, It's not just Marvel movies. Nanotech is just this sort of like, there's the, what's that? Where else does nanotech appear, Jeff? Everywhere. I feel like every it's, sci-fi it's in, movie, basically. every sci-fi movie, exactly. Yeah. I guess it was in No Time to Die. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> it's in every sci-fi movie everywhere. And, and there's a there, what's that movie? Um, is it Thank You for Smoking or what's the movie where uh, Rob Lowe? They're talking about pitching a movie, and it's a sci-fi movie, and he's like, "Oh, we'll have a line that says, uh, oh, wow, thank goodness we invented that.' You know, yeah. like, yeah." It is. It is exactly that hand wavy. It's it, magic. It's magic. It's just mm-hmm. like, oh well, it works that way. Why nanotech? Duh! It it just it, there's no. It's it makes me very very angry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, those are our weekly plugs. I want to give a weekly plug to this podcast as well. If you want to support this show, get some exclusive ad free episodes and after darks. patreoncom podcast where you can do that. We never want anyone to donate if it in any way causes you hardship. Uh, there's very easy ways to support the show for free. All you got to do is uh, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. Leave a star rating or a review for us. It really does help. 
we'd really appreciate it. Also, if you want to recommend stuff for us to watch, hashtag slash tag is how you can do that. Hashtag slash tag on Twitter or just write into slash filmcast at gmail.com um, if you don't want to use the hashtag or you don't have Twitter. Another way to do it. Anyway, uh, those are some weekly plugs for the show in addition to us. Let's get to our review of On the Counter Free. What? No. It's a song about suicide. You can't listen to music that exactly describes the emotional thing you're going through. You know how cheesy that is? Uh. I don't listen to Atlanta's Morissette when I'm going through a breakup, and I'm not listening to Papa Roach on the day I'm going to kill myself. I get that you've been in like a little bit of a slump lately, but suicide's not the answer to that. I know you think you can solve all your own problems, but that ain't working for you. Go talk to someone. I'd like to make a return. This has been a lifelong thing for me. You don't know that things will get better. You tried it, Kevin, and you ended up in the hospital. This time I'm here. We'll do it right. We'll do it together. I love you, man. You're my best friend. I love you too, pal. On three. One. Two. Jesus Christ, man. I need one more day. You just tried to kill yourself three days ago. You had three last days. That was from the trailer for On the Count of Three. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Gerard Carmichael makes his directorial debut and stars in On the Count of Three, a darkly comic feature about two best friends, Val and Kevin, on the last day of their lives. End quote. I'm going to say uh, this is... What... what, what? category would you guys say this movie is in comedy road road it's movie road trip. Dark, that's a road dark movie dark it's technically comedy? a dark comedy dark dark comedy yeah i yeah. will say that this movie and this conversation will deal with issues of suicide and self-harm mm-hmm. um and so if that is something that is troubling to you or triggering to you uh please know that before you listen to this conversation um, and before you watch also, the movie, like I feel like this movie may need one of those warnings ahead of time. Yeah, but yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, and so I'm I'm giving that warning now. So that said, we are going to talk about it freely from this point forward. But just be aware that that is, you know, again, the suicide, self harm discussion coming up. Um, this is a movie that, in some ways, tries to like uh, both depict it and make it into a source of humor on mm-hmm, some on mm-hmm, some regards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, my question for you, Divin Your Hardware, is: Did it succeed? Did it succeed at making this both compelling and funny? Mm-hmm. I, I think it uh, completely did. I first saw this movie at Sundance last year. I really dug it there. And upon rewatching it now, like it is very much a, it's a film about um, confronting the absurdity of life. You know, like it, it is, that is what this movie is wrestling with. And it's doing through doing that through the lens of suicide and through the lens of, you know, two guys who have kind of given up on life. Um, but like so many of these movies, it it's kind of ultimately about finding value and meaning in life. And uh, it also, aside from like the suicide stuff, like I think this is a really, really fascinating portrayal of friendship. I love the friendship in this movie between uh, these two characters uh, played by Gerard Carmichael and Christopher Abbott. We've talked about Christopher Abbott before. I, I have loved him in so many things. He did this like, he was a character in Girls at some point, like he was a side character. And there was like a, I think in the final season, he popped up in one final episode. And it was just like tremendous stuff. So I think he is a great, great actor. Um, their relationship is really fascinating. This is a movie that always felt like it was surprising me. Um, it's both insightful and poignant. Um, and then it could be outright horrifying 
at times too. Like it is a really, really interesting balance. I feel like it's of a piece with a, a movie like World's Greatest Dad, you know, except that one had a more uh, specific tone, you know, around how it was dealing with suicide. This one feels more like a Coen brother movie, you know, where suicide is kind of like the, the thing, everything is revolving around. Um, I just found it really, really compelling. It's not for everybody though. Like it is a, troubling movie i think for people who have like i don't know suicidal ideation like it is introducing thoughts that could be harmful to a lot of people too so uh, it's it's really troubling things at times i found it really compelling though uh great performances all around i love the fact that you know these two friends kind of go on this journey together and uh it is absurd and gross and violent at the times but ultimately like a very very like wonderful portrait of their friendship. So yeah, I love this movie. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts. Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts about on the count of three are best summed up in the form of a limerick. The premise and plot are unique facing things about which we don't speak. And I guess in the end, I do recommend, but the message is muddled and bleak. Mm. So sounds like a mixed mixed review on this one. I am mixed. I am yeah. conflicted because and on one hand um I I admire the boldness and daring to even attempt mm-hmm. this film, you know, mm-hmm. to even attempt It's, it's yes. a knife edge dance basically. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And 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 for the most part it succeeds on walking that knife edge, mm-hmm. but not always. Not always. And you know, we ha- we'll talk much more in detail in spoilers, but um, I think the movie uh, does some things that made me go, ah, I wish you hadn't. I wish mm-hmm. you hadn't. Um, but I mean, it's very dark. It is very dark and it, 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 it gets into the reasons why uh, these guys would want to commit suicide mm-hmm. and does not shy away from those things. Um but it also manages to be genuinely fun and funny. And you kind of like these guys and like their relate, the relationship to with each, with each other is really uh, well defined and, and kind of beautiful. Um, and I, I thought the performances were, were ex- excellent. Um, but it just kind of has a few missteps in my opinion that prevent it from being a, a complete home run for me. And, you know, ultimately, I do think the message is, I'm not sure what to take away from it. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the movie is trying to say. I mean, I think, you know, life is hard and and uh, hard things are hard. And uh, I think, Devendra, as you said, the, you know, the, the difficulty of just uh, dealing with day to day. Existing. Existing, you know? yeah. And, and I think that's, there's just a beautiful sentiment there. But I do think it just sort of, it doesn't stick the landing and it doesn't really... I, I feel like the film sort of careens off, I mean, even as the characters do, it sort of careens off into a place that feels less focused and less clear. And um, it kind of lost me at a certain point. And I, I was rooting for this movie, but uh, I don't think it, it it quite sticks the landing in my opinion. Um, but it is, but I do recommend it. As I said in the Limerick, I do recommend it in the sense that it is, I mean, if you're able to handle that kind of, uh, subject matter which is it's very direct and very dark and it does not shy away from showing you things that are uh harrowing mm-hmm. but 
if you can handle that, I do think it is a, a fascinating film specifically because of how it dances on that knife edge. And to see, uh, I think, skilled uh, uh, filmmaker and, and, and skilled performers and, and uh, skilled writers uh, attempt that mm-hmm. is interesting in and of itself. This movie was written by the guys who behind the show Rami as well. And I, I mm. really dig that show. So it has like a very specific sensibility like that show does at times. Yeah. I, I would agree with you, Jeff. I, I think I might've been a little, uh, maybe I'm between you two. Um, so I'm a little bit more positive than you, but I would agree that it is a fearless act to attempt this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's so many ways it could go wrong. Um, there's so many ways that you could end up doing something terrible in the, in the making of the movie, right? It, cre- creating something that is not only um, not, enjoyable to watch but also like potentially damaging and i admire that they decided to take this risk and i i I do agree that for the most part i think it succeeds one of the things that i think this movie does a really good job of capturing there's two things i I like about the movie right one is what davinder already said about uh this struck me as a very plausible friendship right like Mm -hmm. I, i bought the relationship between these people. And I think that like is extremely important for a movie like this. If you don't buy it, if it doesn't feel authentic to you, then the movie doesn't work. And so I think uh, the, the little bit of rapport and expositional dialogue you have between these characters is enough to make me understand what the relationship was to each other. Uh, And then the movie largely takes place over the course of one day. And so it's like not that much stuff can happen in the course of one day. Um, and I enjoyed the kind of suspense that the movie created of, uh, there's just like anything can happen, right? This, this unpredictability of this day is kind of interesting. And there um, is no future. So yeah, we could do whatever we want basically. And and so that's kind of interesting the way that that plays out. But, uh, but yeah, I also feel like at the end of the day, it did feel a little bit muddled in terms of what the movie is trying to say. And, you know, you can, you can draw your own conclusions and, uh, and I don't think it's it's necessarily damaging, but it's also just like uh, I, I was impressed as as a premiere, like a debut film. You know, like I was like, wow, this is a really impressive like debut film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I also think it's a little bit rough around the edges. You know. Yep. And we'll, we can talk a little bit more about that in spoilers. So overall, I think we we'd all like recommend this because it's so interesting because there's basically nothing else like it. Yeah. Um, but not necessarily a perfect movie. So let's talk more about on the count of three in spoilers now you're looking for the secret can i see this coming no but you won't find it because of course you're not gonna see this coming you're not really looking i have been puzzling over how it works you don't really want to work it out who's in the box i have been dying to tell you i want to tell you my secret now you want to be all right spoilers for on the count of three jeff canada i think you had a couple things you wanted to discuss right yeah, I mean, first of all, how many times do I need to see Henry Winkler get on his knees and beg for his life? It's <laughs> too, 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 too often. Too it's often. Right thing now. right now. I will say yeah. w- the th- one of the things I really did not like about this movie, one of the worst wigs I've oh. ever seen. I, I think they well, just no. leaned into it. It's like, we, what are we going to do but, with this? That, but for that, such yeah. a troubling yeah. scene, though, yeah. I don't. Yeah. I, it, it that scene should not be in the movie. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. Winkler actually does an incredible job with that monologue. Yeah, uh, and he's he's an amazing actor. I mean, mm-hmm. amazing. 
Yeah. But and he he knocks that monologue out of the park. But that scene yes. should not be in the movie. There's, or do, or do, do that scene without even showing Henry Winkler. Basically. Well, the, like, just the hear thing his that this, voice or something. You know? With yeah. this movie, yeah. I feel like the scene only exists. So mm-hmm. when Henry Winkler gets in the elevator, yeah. we know yeah. who it is. But yeah. we would know who it is. We would like, know who it is. We, from the voice from the voice, you mean? Or or, or no, no, no voice we would at know. all. Just, we yeah, would yeah. get it. We would yeah. get yeah, that yeah, his yeah. doctor just because it's a big actor, and we would get his his doctor just got in the elevator. We would get it. Mm-hmm. And the thing that the movie had done so well up to that point is not explicitly spell everything out for you, but it's so mm-hmm. clear what happened to these guys. It's yeah. so clear why they are so, you know, uh, damaged and, and, and how the, the, the things that they've gone through in their life and they, they don't need to spell mm-hmm. it out and show you that scene. And I feel like the only reason it's in that scene is so when he gets in the elevator, you go, Oh, that's the same guy. Mm-hmm. And, and I just think it's it's the one moment in the movie where the the filmmakers didn't trust the audience. I, I'd argue for that scene only because I feel like uh, the, the movie doesn't actually show you a lot of specifics too. Like a lot of things are implied about relationships between characters and whatnot. Yes, but that scene, that specific scene, is also like it is really interesting to see how somebody who is supposed to help, you know, somebody who's, who's supposed to exist to help a child, can do so and also be damaging you know, be damaging with uh, with their logic and the way they talk and everything. So to to see him actively, you know, basically harming this kid and knowing what's going to, like, they don't show the abuse happening, but seeing how he can, like, infect a kid's mind and kind of uh, basically um, co-opt, uh, sabotage the trust the child gives him, I thought was uh, was kind of, like, chilling. Because yeah. you know that happens. I, I, I that think yeah. I think you need the scene from a narrative perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you you need the scene from a narrative perspective to but understand. But do it differently. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Do it with you know. You don't need to show Henry Winkler's face for instance. Do it from the you back. Show, or something. Yeah. You don't need to show him with that terrible wig or anything. But I think you I, need I, it narratively because you need to know that what was done to Christopher Abbott's character was unforgivable. Yeah. He was asking um, for help. You know. Yeah. And right. but you have that. that yeah. You have all of that information when he confronts him in the hallway and he says. I, you were supposed to help me, you know, like mm-hmm. we get all that information. It's, I, I feel like it's redundant and it, it maybe, maybe it's the I, one I moment where they, we, go, we go to a flashback and it just felt like, don't do a flashback. We don't need to move out of this mm-hmm. one day that we're in mm-hmm. with these characters. Mm-hmm. Well, Christopher Abbott's character, you know, he, I would argue Jeff that these are unreliable narrators. Mm-hmm. Like you don't, you don't know if what Christopher Abbott's saying is true. And so you need some kind of flashback to indicate like that this thing was, yeah. was terrible. You know, like I, I think that, it's, yeah. it's, it's only to completely get him off the hook for the fact that he, that, that Henry Winkler's killed. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. And, and yes, but exactly like, give me, let me feel a little more, more ambiguity because it's still a horrible act. Mm-hmm. Like that's still mm-hmm. a horrible act. And, you know, I, and, and then we're sort of, we're, we're evading the cops and all of that stuff just felt, I don't know. It, it it didn't feel like we were um, treating the audience fairly at that point. It's it's like we it, we're really heavily putting our thumb on the scale to try to root for these guys. When I think it would have been a stronger choice to go, hey, should we be rooting for these guys? Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, the, the other the other big thing that happens in the third act that bothered me a bit is the issue around. Um, um, Jared Carmichael's character going to offer the money f- for the abortion and um, that being this turning well, point. No, 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 no. It was not take care for, of the child. Yeah, it was for yeah. taking care of the child. It was oh, explicit I, I, I that it was it no, abortion. 
Either so way, he, he he said you are not going to have an abortion. He's explicitly says you love children. You're not going to mm-hmm. have an abortion. Yeah. So yeah. the money was for her to take care of her. Oh, children. I missed a moral uh, payoff. Mis- in a way. Misinterpreted yeah. that. Got it. Um, either way, it it felt like a information that he had throughout the entire film mm-hmm. that he it then makes him have a 180 degree abrupt turn that didn't feel it didn't feel like he got any new information there. Just because she refused to take the money mm-hmm. didn't feel like it, it it earned his, you know, complete 180 degree yeah, uh, decision. Y- you need to believe that that confrontation is powerful enough mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. it would like reverse yeah. his feelings on it. And maybe for you, Jeff, it didn't rise to that level. And I, I would it's agree. It's not just that yeah. scene. It doesn't just hinge on that scene too. It's like everything that happens after it. Too. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Everything else that happens the rest of the day, right? Yeah, um, I just I, I felt like it was, mm-hmm. you know, I had been, I believed he was where he was ready to die. I mean that that monologue he gives at the very beginning of the film of you know like th- thinking about waking up tomorrow or thinking about not waking up tomorrow is is like the biggest relief I could have. Right, right, right. I don't. I I never saw him not feel that. You know, I I didn't I didn't buy mm-hmm. his. Mm-hmm. Transition out of that, you know. They they mm-hmm. needed something like the uh, the Michelle Williams scene in M- Manchester by the Sea, you know, that like devastating scene from the end of that. Yeah, movie. something on that level, I guess. Yeah, which is tough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite aspects of this movie is the confrontation that Christopher Abbott has with that guy that like really messed him up when he was young. Yep. Um. Oh, so good. It, it's oh just my god. Really well. Do- it's just what a well done scene of so- like. This the obliviousness like complete, of that yeah, guy. complete <laughs> yeah. raging asshole. It's yeah. like, wow, this is really good. And he had, and then, th- that and, is the absurdity of life, right? Like, he has the perfect life. This guy, mm-hmm. this guy who was an asshole to whom, this guy who was a bully, and must have, like, bullied tons of other kids. Yeah. He's got, he's got a pretty wife. He's got a boat. Got a beautiful <laughs> kid. Got a nice life. Yeah. Life worked out for this asshole. How is that fair? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Christopher Abbott kind of has a freak out afterwards, which yeah, I just thought yeah. was like when he like takes the ashtray or whatever. <laughs> yes, and like, I was like, yes. this is an amazing performance. You know, yeah. he he uh, really hit that thing on on t- like on cue too. Like I'm not sure if he was aiming for what was it yeah. a signpost or something. That was, it was amazing. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, and the performance throughout was really really good. But like that moment, I was like, wow, this is you know, mm-hmm. he's putting his all into this. So. Uh-huh. Uh, and and I really like kind of the unpredictability. Like, what is he going to do there? You know, um, well, his whole transition from you know, the, the, I love how he's the guy who you know hates guns, and then like finds <laughs> recognizes why what it is about guns that is so um, mm-hmm. seductive and yeah. mm-hmm. it, it should it, be it, illegal. Yeah, yeah. That that whole, that whole arc for that character I found to be fascinating and and something I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have to say, you know, I, I watched this movie after the events of this past weekend mm-hmm. in which there were multiple mass shootings in yeah. the United States. Multiple is uh, even too small a word. Yeah. And it's just, it's really, uh, it, it made the movie harder to watch, you know? Sure. Um, mm-hmm. because, because I think the movie is largely correct about yeah. why owning guns is intoxicating, you know, to people. And uh, and certainly, like, you know, we, we have a sense of, why it was for the people that decided to act, some of the people that decided to act in some of these heinous crimes. Um, but 
it, it felt it, it, I didn't I didn't fault the movie for that in any way. It's just more like this is like an unfortunate lens reflection yeah, of reality. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Rather than like the movie's de- dealing with it in, in an mm-hmm. insensitive way or anything. Yeah. Um. But yeah, T- talking about reflecting reality too. Like I so I saw this movie before Rathaniel and before mm. Gerard Carmichael like officially came out as gay. And watching this movie now too feels like watching somebody who's really trying to navigate um, existing, you know, in a, in a world where he can't fully be himself too. So mm-hmm. that adds yeah. another layer to it as well. Um, I really, yeah. Nathaniel's really good. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway. Well, uh, I think we got to talk about the very end though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I, in terms of just filmmaking craft, I actually thought the very end. Good shot. Uh, yeah. Was. Was well, n- n- not even before, like the events leading up, like mm-hmm. them confronting themselves in the canyon. Uh, it's haunting. It the whole incredible. sequence, yeah, between yeah. the two of them, with the and just like in terms of the way it's shot, like the car, the cop cars lined up on the, yeah. the ridge there, and everything. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's, it's very much sequence. a western, like a yeah. shootout. Except the shootout is between them and trying to keep somebody alive, not well, trying to a, end somebody's life. You know, there's a tension too of like, oh my god, are the cops just going to yeah. mow them down? Yeah. Or yeah. You, it, it's it's incredibly tense. Yeah. And when Christopher Rabbit like decides he's going to take his own life, and that mm-hmm. that will hopefully take some of the heat off of his friend, yeah, um, it is very it is very powerful. Um, but yeah, so then the the final shot is just an extremely long. I guess it's like a dolly out mm-hmm. of like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Gerard Carmichael's character and um, his. Girlfriend and their child, mm-hmm. and I guess uh, year, a years older, have passed. So th- yeah, yeah years about have passed. Four. Yeah. yeah, years have passed, and he's still in prison. But he is clearly see- seeming to like enjoy life mm-hmm. and like, mm-hmm. um, and and find has found some purpose to life. Yeah, um, I, Jeff, I would have liked yeah. a little more connective tissue there. But yeah, go ahead, Jeff. right? Like, what what happened? Like, mm-hmm. you know, is yeah. he in jail for twenty years, or is this the last year of his sentence? Pr- probably know? very long time. What's going he's on? He's on video here? shooting the dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, there, there was a sense he's like, you know, you can pin the whole shooting on me in some way, you know, I don't know. I don't know. But, I, except for the scene where he shoots the guy in the head, you know, and there was probably video footage of that. So yeah. I, I don't know. We don't know. Yeah. We don't, we don't know. That's the thing. Yeah. But Jeff, mm-hmm. what did you think of the ending? I mean, I think that shot is beautiful mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and how long it takes to, to, to leave and that, you know, you get the sense of one of these two friends, uh, the, the paths diverging and. I, I thought it was I thought it was beautiful, but I I also agree with you guys that it just kind of didn't feel mm-hmm. like enough in, in in a certain sense. Um, mm-hmm. I I don't know, man. It, it's because uh, we've gotten so invested in their fates that it's yeah. like to leave a huge portion of one of their fate out of the yeah. ending feels a little weird. Well, yeah. it feels like yeah. enough in that. Okay, at least like we we get a sense of like where his growth is. You know, like he he seems happier. That shot is interesting too because it's like it's also everybody else during visiting day two. And you're thinking about like these families who have to deal with the fact that their loved ones are in prison and they have kids and how they navigate all that. I wish like maybe the movie had like delved into maybe some more of that stuff too, but I found it very interesting. You know, it it didn't just focus on him. It was kind of about everybody. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, definitely a bold ending. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean the fact I, that the the uh, you know a suicide feels at the end of this movie kind of feels like a the, the right move in a weird way mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. is hard to swallow, right? It's, it's hard. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, 
So Gerard Carmichael has spoken about this, and he has said that he does not feel like he he consulted experts, mm-hmm. and he does not feel like this movie glorifies suicide in any way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do agree with you that narratively, you know, um, he said he, here's what he said. By the way, this is a in um. In a Q&A following the pre- premiere, I'm reading from the New York Post here, he said, we talk to people, of course, and it's also personal experiences and personal things that you know to be true, and you don't want to change or adapt that based off of what could uh, potentially be the popular or more palatable choice. Right, right. Um, and he says uh, uh, he wasn't concerned with the film being seen as glorifying suicide. Quote, I'm really big on the intelligence of the audience and their ability to interpret from an ending uh, like their own emotion and trusting that we played the story out to its logical conclusion. End quote. So he doesn't feel like it's glorifying suicide. Mm-hmm, um, that's a character but, who wanted to die basically. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's but I, I, I feel like I agree with you, Jeff, that like mm-hmm. it's the, the, you, you have these two divergent paths where one character who wanted to die didn't. And then the other character this like realized that there was more to life mm-hmm. and that he wasn't, you know, he, had a, he had the opportunity to find it. He had the opportunity to find what was, what there was more to life. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the only positive thing that happens for the other characters is that he gets to murder the man that ruined his life. You know, right. it's it's a, it's a it's rough. It's rough. It's yeah. very dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes me think about the fact that you know our society, our healthcare systems, like it does leave a lot of people behind. A lot of people are struggling who go through all the mental health health that they can, you know, get and uh, don't find any relief. And that is a really, really rough thing for anybody to go through. So I don't know. The movie doesn't really come down anything. It's just like, it is fascinating how much of it seems like a relief for Christopher Abbott's character. Yeah. Uh, Uh, The other scene we haven't mentioned uh, is this scene with J.B. Smoove. So good. Which, you know, yeah. I've never seen that guy deliver that kind of performance before. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Usually, you know, a broad comedic actor. You know, He's he on Conan. Freaking, I know him from Conan, you know? Yeah, I'm freaking Caesar right now on TV from, you know, betting sites. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, a you know, in um, Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's just Curb, a you know, yeah. kind of goofy, goofball-y, fun, uh, comedic dude. But man, what a what a performance, I thought, from him. Ugh. Uh, and that scene is incredible with the the Billy, big mouth Billy Bass. Mm-hmm, yes. Uh, yes. I mean, all of that. It just it just it it reminded me of um, that scene in Boogie Nights with the the firecrackers. Right. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, right. it's just so haunting and menacing. And him, like you could have had, you know, you could have had uh, five guys. You know, it's just like yeah. <laughs> It's wow funny. it's it's yeah it's that, an ama- that scene alone scene. is like shows how far they're leaning into like bleakness in a way and dark comedy yeah in a way like that you would expect from a coen brother movie except right. i don't i don't think they've even like gone to that level i don't know like i think of no country no country is a very specific vibe but no country doesn't really like try to throw a billy bass in there you know while juggling the joke and having you know horrific violence they kill that guy he's dead I'm, right? I'm not sure, but it's, they you know. whack him in the head with tire and he's bleeding out on the floor. He dead. Um, one of the maybe, one of the maybe most, that's what Gerard Carmichael's character is in jail for at the end. Right? Maybe, you know, maybe. Uh, I mean, but the, there, there's a very moving line <laughs> at the clear. end where he's like, "Thank you <laughs> for hitting my dead, my my dad, you know, in the head with a tire iron." It's very lovely. Yeah, like a lovely, I, I, lovely move. Incredible. Thank you so much. Yeah, incredible yeah. line. Incredible yeah. line. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but also, you know, that's another point of of how it did feel to me a little manipulative for the movie to to really try mm-hmm. make sure that I am supporting these guys when they do some horrible things. I mean, one of the things I really liked about this movie is how they directly comment on some of the things I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of which mm-hmm. is, you know, not much difference between these dudes and the the kids from Columbine or any other, you know, you know, and obviously right now in the headlines, you know, Buffalo, which is horrific and galling and un, un, unreal. But, you know, the, they're not that far away from it. You know, to say, oh, hey, we're doing a movie about how this is the last day we're going to live so we can do anything. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm sure that's what a lot of these fucks think. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, and so to force me into supporting that uh regardless of how deserving some of these mm-hmm. victims are to their fate it felt like i you know to uh, jared carmichael's comment that you just read dave give me a little more credit as an audience allow me to live in that moral mm-hmm. ambiguity a bit more instead of trying to tip the scales as much as i think this movie does mm-hmm. yeah i, don't no, know. I, th- I, I don't think know. it's yeah because there are a lot of other movies that kind of really force us to to live with these assholes and this is why like i i've seen taxi driver a few times i don't think i really enjoy rewatching taxi driver like that is a movie that makes me feel grimy in the way like i don't and i i guess it's more specific right it really leans into the fact like he is just unlikable but it plays with a lot of things whereas this movie i think like it's never fully justifying what they're doing like these are you well, know, these are messed say, up guys. Yeah, I, I would say that, as Jeff put it, the movie there is a conceivable way to let them off the hook for pretty mm-hmm. much everything they do mm-hmm. in this film. Mm-hmm. You know, um, every act they take against someone else, mm-hmm. uh, you, you can just you know, like with uh, the dad character, he was he was already wailing on his friend. Yeah, and, yeah, you yeah. Know, and then with uh, the Henry Winkler character, he was wronged first, right? And so it's like, mm-hmm. but it's like, what would it be like if you know it was more? Um, more morally ambiguous, right? And, I guess. I guess. Yeah. I, yeah. I like Taxi Driver ends with the uh, you know Travis Bickle being a hero. You know, it's like I, I at least this one kind of leaves it a little more open. I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, at the end of the day, it's pretty impressive that Jared Carmichael make, made a movie, mm-hmm. and I, I actually make more. hope he makes more movies. Yeah, I, I do. I think, too. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, this, I think one of the things yeah. we haven't really explicitly said is I think the movie is really beautifully directed. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, and also uh, more, more Christopher Abbott in things. Yes, we talked about him in Possessor. He's so good. Jeff, you got to watch Possessor. Bro. Watch Possessor, Jeff. <laughs> you gotta watch Don't watch it on the plane. Do not it watch is the, the most, uh, one of the most upsetting movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but you got to watch Possessor. You got to watch it. Not on the plane. Yeah. Uh, not on the plane. Okay. Not on the plane. Uh, he's going to be in Craven the Hunter, guys. So, you know, we have that to look forward to. Y- yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Music for this podcast comes courtesy of Tim McEwen from The Midnight. Check out his new project, Varsity Blue. Our our, uh, spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Corwith. Our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Uh, Find more episodes at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Next week, we're going to be reviewing Men, the Alex Garland film, not the concept. Maybe both, um, though. Maybe both. Yeah. We'll be also honest. be discussing Top Gun, the OG, the original Tony Scott movie Speaking as part of, of the men. After Dark. Men. Yes. Men playing really volleyball. Men centric yeah. episode planes. next week. Yeah. Yes. Men high fiving. And again, you can always get access to that at patreon.com slash film podcast. Thank you so much for listening. 
We'll see you later. Later.